if you can think differently than the rest of the world, you'll succeed differently than the rest of the world. Welcome everyone to The Ultimate Shift. Join Ephraim Glick and leading figures in business and entertainment as they share their stories of regular people overcoming tremendous obstacles only to achieve happiness, success, and fulfillment. Are you ready to make the ultimate shift in your life? Hello, everyone. Today, I am really excited about my guest that I'm bringing to you. He's a friend of mine for about, I guess, seven, maybe even closer to 10 years now. His name is Brad Harmsworth, and he moved to America from Canada. He has an incredible story. He used to work for the government or the military in Canada. And anyway, moved to America. He is now the new father of um, a six-month-old girl. He's married, and he just released his book that is called Fear, Purpose, or Duty. He owns a Watchman Consulting and so he does consulting on a whole lot of different things, and we can bring him on and have him talk about that. Oh, there you are. And I'm in space. What the heck? <laughs> That's okay, too. <laughs> uh, how are you doing? I'm good. How about you? I'm good. Never done an interview in space before? We'll just roll with it. Let's roll with it. All right. Okay, well, let's just jump right into it. So I kind of did this interview or this bring on before you came on where I talked a little bit about you. Oh, okay. And so our guests already know who you are, but we're going to let you tell them who you are. So why don't you introduce yourself and let people know what you do? What, well, what do I do? My name's Brad. <laughs> I live in Georgia currently. I am an immigrant into the United States of America, actually. Um, and... Me and my wife, we have four different companies that are very successful. Um, we started with a cosmetic company. We started our own makeup brand um, that exploded. We, we're in, I think we're in 16 countries right now. Wow. And we use that to help build other companies. So we have a, like a social media training company for doing business using social media. And then once we got those things rolling, we kind of, I wanted to do some things. So I have a, a security consulting company and a, let's call it a survival equipment store. <laughs> Sounds great. Okay. So then tell us a little bit about you You're from Canada. What did you do in Canada before you came to America? I used to fix submarines for the government. Yeah. That's, and so how was that? It was exciting. Uh, I'm an electrician by trade. That's what I grew up doing. So it was all electrical systems on, you know, you're playing around with top secret documents and working with the Navy hand in hand. I was a civilian. I was not, uh, I was not in the military. Mm -hmm. I was a civilian. It was a good career. It was a safe career. Like you couldn't get fired unless you did something super drastic. You couldn't, your paycheck was always assured no matter what happened. You know, I know my friends who are still in the business, even through all this stuff, they weren't allowed to come into work or half of them were off at a time. They still all got their regular paychecks. Like still everything was covered. Like it was a good safe job, but in my opinion, safe's not always better. Why is that? 
it doesn't leave you room to grow big enough, in my opinion. You just kind of conform to that reality. Yeah, you can't move. You can't. Like I couldn't go anywhere. I, I mean, yes, you get paid time off and stuff at that kind of job, but like I couldn't go anywhere and and build anything because you're there for forty hours a week, every week. You have the same income, so you can use it to to grow things, but you're still limited as to how much you can put away every year and what you can invest in and whatever, as opposed to building your own thing. Like there is infinite, there's limitless what you can do when you have your own thing. Yeah. What made you want to come out of that and come to America or what was, what was the first step where you realized, okay, I want to do something different. A girl. Yeah. My in wife America or there uh, here running or coming in America. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, about the time I was exploring doing something different, I was learning from a coach and I met a girl at a business conference and, uh, well, she kind of changed my world. And so I met you, right? Same conference. Yeah. We, yeah. Met you at the same conference. Yeah. And, uh, I met you a few years earlier than her, but, uh, right, right. Well, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and you weren't pretty enough for me to want to marry you and move. Down <laughs> well, thank God, you know, that, that worked out best for both of us. Sounds That's like. true. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so I married her and immigrated, which is a very exciting process. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> shaking your head. No, <laughs> Okay, so let's backtrack. Just I want to get into um, what makes Brad Brad. So you were ten years old. Was your future, your dream, the idea of what you wanted for your life, was that clear to you, or was that something that you were still kind of trying to figure out? Or you know, jump ahead a few years, ten, fifteen years old, somewhere in that range. Everywhere in that range, I had no real thoughts about the future. It was. Uh how am I going to survive today? When I grew up, there wasn't really a safe place. It didn't matter what school I went to. It didn't matter what church I went to. There was always, what? there was always somebody there wanting to pick on me always. Really? Oh yeah. Everywhere. Church too. Everyone thinks church is a safe place. Church was never a safe place. And at home, I remember feeling like home was a safe place. And as I got older, I started to realize like, wasn't really safe at home either. There was nothing I could do that was good enough at home. And not, I'm not blaming my parents at all. My parents did the best they could and they did a great job with what they had to work on because what they had to work on was a lot worse than what I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there wasn't a place to be me. And so yeah. every day was just, let's get through today. How are we going to piss off the least amount of people? Or what, what can I do today that will make somebody proud? Because, you know, I don't know what everybody believes, but one of my beliefs is that they want someone to be proud of them. They want mm -hmm. to be proud of themselves. They want someone to be proud of them. You know, that, that's, an, that's acceptance. That's feeling loved. And I didn't have that anywhere. So I had no thoughts of the future. Really? When I was young. Yeah. So this went on till about what age? What age did you start thinking about what it is you wanted to do? And how did you get from there into becoming a civilian contractor for the military? Did that just kind of happen or was it that all kind of just happened? So my dad had his own company, his own electrical company. 
And so when both me and my brother, when we were young, young, like, you know, 13, 14, we were working for my dad. And so I was doing electrical, starting an apprenticeship with him. And then through the high school I was in, the Canadian government offered a apprenticeship program. They were looking to hire people into, well, the Navy base in my hometown was the big employer, 1300 civilians. So um, like they were looking for more apprentices because they were seeing how people were going to be retiring. And so I competed for that. I've been very smart most of my life. So (laughs) I failed that test, but I still was one of the top two in the, and there was really? like, oh yeah. Wow. I got, I don't even remember, like 63% or something on that math test. It was a four hour math exam, math and problem solving exam. You're not allowed to use a calculator. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, you're, you needed 70% to pass. I got 63. The guy who beat me got 65. Like it was, it was tough. It was tough. And, yeah. but because we were top two, we got hired. So I, all of a sudden I was, in you know i worked there for 13 years i worked there i never had to think about it I was like oh this is just what all of life's going to be like right everyone around you is career family retirement yeah there's nothing else at that time you didn't think about anything that you're doing today your no. businesses today that wasn't even in your in your head at the time no yeah and so at some point i want to kind of pivot into that but i want to stay to who was the biggest influence in your life, good or bad, when you were a kid? When I was a kid? Well, I would say, I mean, I don't get to speak for my brother, so I'm not going to speak for us, but me. I grew up worried about what my mom was going to think. So I lived day to day a lot based on my mom's opinion. So I would say she was a major influence. One of the tools I used to like escape painful reality was I read a lot. Uh, I've read thousands and thousands and thousands of books in my lifetime. Like I just, I love to read and it, it started when I was a kid and well, for however long it took me to read a book, I would be in a different world, a different world where things worked out and heroes were valued and villains were conquered, you know, like, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't just, it was just any kind of books. It wasn't just specifically business. Uh, mostly fiction. I actually, okay. still, yeah, even yeah. still today, I have a hard time getting through business books. They put me to sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, but, want, uh, you want the, the drama, the story. Yeah, I love the story. And I had a friend whose dad was a big reader and he had shelves and shelves of books. And I used to borrow books from him. One day I grabbed a book by an author named David Gemmel. And I ripped through that book and it was so powerful. I learned so much about myself and humanity from reading a novel. And so I started looking for his other books, that author's other books. Well, today I have all 35 of his books. He's, he's been dead a long time, but I have all 35 of his books. I read them over and over and over again. And I, I would actually say that David Gemmel was probably one of the biggest influences in my life growing up. And And, and the influence was taking you from your reality and taking you into a different world. Yeah, it was, I know a lot of people don't like reading fiction, but writers of fiction are enabled because they're making something up to create worlds that should be. Mm. So 
one thing I appreciate about David Gemmell is none of his heroes were perfect. They all had flaws. They all knew they had flaws. They all had things to overcome. And so I could read about me in a safe place instead of having to go discover me in the world where to my young mind, everybody was against me. I got yeah. to discover me in a world where not everyone was against me, where I had friends and allies and obstacles to overcome that I could overcome and yeah. understanding like what being a man means when yeah. especially today, there's not a ton of great examples in modern life. <laughs> yeah. What was your biggest fear back then? Or you may have touched up on that, which was, you know, maybe kind of surviving, but was there one thing that stood out over everything else? And, and if so, how has that helped you or hindered you into who you are today? I'm not sure what my biggest fear was. I wasn't, well, I was afraid of my mom, that's for sure. But I like early on basically just came to believe that I was valueless. And so I remember all through school, if I saw somebody else, like I got picked on a lot, but if I saw somebody else getting picked on, I had no value. So it doesn't matter if I do this. And I would go step into the middle of it, knowing that it would redirect everybody's attention off of the person they were picking on right there to me. And it was the only way oh, wow. I knew. I was the only way I knew how to protect somebody else from feeling what you have felt. Yeah. Or I, one of the most valuable creeds I ever adopted from from David Gemmel is you protect the weak against the evil strong. And I didn't have a ton of tools to do so, but the tool I did have was it's people find it easy to pick on me, so I'll, I'll just go take it, and the other person can walk away. So. Did you make any friends that way? Like from the people you were, you were protecting or did they just kind of, I was, I got accepted into those circles, but those people, we didn't know how to have friends. It was one of the, in my, I think one of the big reasons, you know, we get picked on when we're young is we don't know how to be friends. We don't know how to have mm -hmm. friends. And so, yeah, well maybe I could go hang out with them at lunch maybe you'll get an invite, you know, to go play video games or something one day or play soccer in the park. I would say we didn't know how to be friends. Yeah. So with the Brad you are today, what advice would you give yourself back then? If you could talk to that kid, what would you say to him? <laughs> I'd say every day you pray two prayers. Actually, I'd say you pray these two prayers and you pray them every day. You pray, Father, show me that you love me. And you pray, Father, show me why you created me. What's my purpose here? And like we've built, my wife and I have built an empire. But that would have started when I was a kid. If I had known I was valuable, if I'd have known I was worth loving, if I'd have believed it and understood why am I here, it would have made all the rest of the decisions I made so different, you know? I would have taken that job with the government for a totally different purpose than just it's what I'm supposed to do. I, I was married once before, before I married Extina and I totally, I, I mean, two people destroy marriage. One person does not destroy marriage, but I made terrible decisions in that marriage. And I would not have made those decisions had I understood how valuable I was. I understood I was worth loving. I understood what my purpose was. I may not even have married that woman if I'd have known that. That's not me saying I wouldn't have. She was awesome. But like all your decisions from that point on 
are different knowing what your value is and what you're here for. So how do we, this may be jumping ahead a little bit, but I'm okay with that kind of where we're going, but how do you change that for today's kids, for your daughter? What's the step that you take as a father to implement that value into your kids? And is this covered in your book as well? Yes. The first chapter of my book, my book is called, it's right here. It's called fear, duty, or purpose. The simple habits to protect our families. Cause when I started praying that prayer way late in life, the answer I got was I created you to protect a people. And all of a sudden everything I, in my past made sense. Every bit of pain I ever went through, every, every moment of standing up for somebody who couldn't stand up for themselves or wasn't standing up for themselves, every book I was attracted to or movie I loved, all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, this makes so much sense. And so actually in our home, it is known. We harm's worse. We are here to protect the people. And so my daughter will be raised understanding like this is why we're here there will be vision into her life already. That whole first chapter of the book is about how you can't protect anybody if you don't have a foundation of your own identity, who you are, why are you here? And so one of the more powerful things I believe that will happen in my home, I get to test it out with my first child here, is at any moment in life, as soon as we can communicate back and forth, I want to be able to get down on one knee and ask my daughter, who are you? Ooh. Right. Just even if she doesn't understand fully, if she's able to look me in the eyes and say, I'm a Harmsworth, we're here to protect the people. If you all believe something different than me, that's totally cool. Just translate it for you. But to be able to say like, no, I am a princess in the Harmsworth kingdom. And I I am a princess in, in my father's kingdom, in God's kingdom. Like this is who I am. Even if she doesn't understand it, the habit, because Every single person I've ever met has moments where they look in the mirror and they ask themselves, you know, who are you? What are you doing? And normally they ask that question and there's no answer. But I don't want my daughter to ever, ever have that experience. Because from the moment she can understand me, I can be sowing into her. Now you're a harm's worth. You're here to create, to protect a people. You are loved. You are like that moment when she looks in the mirror and says, you know, she gets upset and says, Sloan, who are you? She'll have an answer that will immediately go through her head because I've already asked her that question so many times. She's like, I'm a Harmsworth. I'm here to protect the people. You know, let's put my boots back on and go back out there. You know, mm-hmm. pick up my sword and go back out and fight. Whatever it is for her, you know, put my makeup on and go do business or whatever it is, you know, for her. Yeah. But just to have that identity and purpose. It's amazing. You've adapted and pivoted and, you know, adjusted your life in many different ways from Canada to America to different careers to different businesses. How important do you feel it is to be able to, to make that shift or to adapt to the environment or to your watchman consulting to helping people be prepared for whatever it is that might hit them? How important is that? in today's world and why is that so important? I'd say we just went through three months of why it's important. I'm really blessed to have, because I've read and so much, I have a, a, I don't have a perfect grasp, but I have a great grasp on history and understanding what has happened before, understanding that there are zero exceptions 
to what's what cycle society goes through zero there are none well that's not true there are two there are two exceptions to the cycles that society goes through they're both listed in the bible and they're both exceptions because god sent israel in to wipe them out entirely so their exceptions they got out of the cycle because they're dead okay (laughs) otherwise every society goes through the same cycles every single one there are no exceptions wow and those cycles include some very terrible things. And I kind of got this mindset years ago. And so I started creating businesses that would be valuable for what I saw coming. Like Watchman Supply, which started like six months ago, which is a you know survival equipment store. Like you want to call it whatever you want to call it. It's firearms and water filters and go bags. I've been building that for years the foundations for it and made nothing. Yeah. Why? Nobody's worried about anything. But like three months ago, all that building for years, three months ago, all of a sudden I started doing, you know, $40,000 of business a month. Whoa. Because all of a sudden it's needed. Creating business becomes about what do people need or what are they going to need? Mm -hmm. And, or on a lesser extent, what do they want? Because a want is just an emotional need. And being able to provide it. Yes. Whatever makes them feel feel safe. Exactly. And sometimes feeling safe is eating fast food. Like Mm -hmm. what makes a person feel safe is totally unique. You can't convince me that, you know, KFC down the road isn't providing a level of security for the people who go through the drive-thru every day. No, it is. This is, this is my routine. This is what I love. It makes me feel good to eat this. And while I don't necessarily like what I look like in the mirror, I get comfort every morning when I go through that drive-thru. This is a, a matter of security. Wow. I like that. <laughs> Same as the Starbucks line. That's why the Starbucks line is so long? Yep. Okay. Makes sense now. <laughs> because even, even sometimes a sense of security comes from what's my status in society. Well, if I can stand in line and buy an 8 or $9 coffee, my status in society is pretty high. Wow. That's a level of security. Yeah. It, it, it's about identity. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So how do you then build a company to withstand what we just have gone through or are still going through? That's a good question. How do you build a company that will withstand? Because you and I both know, I'm sure you see as much as I do of business after business after business shutting down right now. Yeah. Not just in the hospitality industry, but in, in, I've seen it in every industry. I had one of my competitors call me the other day and ask me if I want to buy everything he has. It's just, how do you build something which you've obviously done with your companies? How did you prepare for this time financially? Were there certain steps or strategies that you put in place from day one and you stuck to them? Yes. There are a couple. So I, I have another product that will be published sometime in the next couple of weeks here. It's called, it's called Prepping Without Paranoia. And it's just a list of steps for like how to prepare your own family, your own home. But one of those, the first steps are get healthy and get wealthy. Those are the first steps. Being prepared for anything has to do with being independent. How independent can I make my family? How independent can I make my business? Now, don't get me wrong. Like we have um, our cosmetic brand 
we have manufacturers in Canada and manufacturers in China and manufacturers in the United States. Like you still do rely on other people, but mm -hmm. how do you set yourself up to be independent? Like our warehouse is stocked, both our cosmetic warehouse or my survival company's warehouse. Let's do an easier example. The grocery stores are limiting what you can buy. Like two and a half months ago, you couldn't get beans, rice, toilet paper, paper plates. You couldn't get beef. You couldn't get chicken. You, they were gone. You walked into Walmart. The shelves are just bare in those sections. Can't get peanut butter. Can't get bread because everybody's panicking. Mm -hmm. But if you had, well, I had months worth of food already stored. That bought me months to figure out how to pivot. That mm -hmm. bought me month. Like it didn't take months, but it bought me like, you know, months worth of time to figure out how am I going to get beef? How am I going to get peanut butter? How am I going to feed my family? You do the same thing in a business. It's whatever I got to do to give myself some time to figure out. So your competitor, I'm, I'm not going to speak badly of him because I, I don't know anything about it, but based on what you just told me, he didn't give himself enough time to figure out a different way. Yeah. He was mortgaged to the hilt or he didn't have enough material to provide for the needs that happened in that time. Maybe he had materials for a different need. Like mm -hmm. he didn't have enough time to figure out a different way. I'm watching farmers all over the country now, instead of go through their normal suppliers, they're just going direct to the buyer. Yeah. You know, I got a friend in uh, South Dakota. He just created a campaign. I'm taking a semi-trailer load of beef into North Carolina. If you want on the list, you can buy a half cow or a whole cow. Here's the prices. Pre-order it. It'll be delivered here on this day. Well, amazing. four days later, he's sold out. Yeah, because he's right? pivoting. He's, he's pivoting. He's adjusting. Uh-huh. I got other friends who have a pork farm. They did the same thing. He's like, well, because we're not so much in debt, I had to build a holding facility to hold my livestock so I don't have to butcher them like everybody else is having to do so that I can just give me more time to figure it out. It's all about that. That to me is what, how business security is. It's about, we have thousands and thousands of dollars worth of stock in our warehouse so that if all of a sudden one of my suppliers can't get something, I'm not all of a sudden out of luck. Mm -hmm. What is your advice to the family of four who's living in the suburbs or in the city maybe who doesn't have those resources. They don't own a business. They're working for someone else. Maybe their income got cut a bit or maybe it didn't, but it could be one of many different scenarios, but they don't know that guy in South Dakota. They don't know that pork farmer. How does that family prepare at a time like this without stockpiling all kinds of stuff in their garage? You know, what's your advice to them? Maybe let's say this, this time was hard on them how can they now take this and prepare for it? Should it happen again? God forbid, but something's always going to happen. How do they get through that the next time in a better way? Get healthy and get wealthy is the first step. Like make sure you're eating well, make sure you're exercising as a family, as a family, like the same way my cosmetic company has stock to last us for months. If something should happen, being healthy gives your body stock to last whatever happens, whatever's going to happen. If you're healthier, you'll outlast everybody around you. And your immune system will fight off the exactly. COVID-19s or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Being able to build wealth is really important. Like 
Um, whether it's, you know, a lot of people follow, what's that guy's name that he's got a radio show. Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey or Danny Johnson or Hans Johnson's true wealth formula, which is where I started is Hans Johnson's true wealth formula. Like just the mindset of how do I build wealth with what I have? Because that's the other thing. Like when you look at worst, worst case scenario is like Nazi Germany where there's a people group being ostracized. Not, I know this is not COVID-19, but the people who got out had wealth. Mm hmm. So just figuring out a way to build wealth, start a business. Like that's so big, start a business. And starting a business doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be, you know, dropping a hundred grand to create makeup products. Yeah. Like you just went through three months of people being like, well, I can't get chicken. Well, everybody who has a yard has the capability of spending 14 bucks for a chick, you know, a meat chicken. Yeah. YouTubing how to slaughter the thing and selling chicken to your neighbor. Like it doesn't have to be complicated. <laughs> yeah. You can find anything on YouTube nowadays. It's true. Including mentors. I was, I was going to say, I think it's important. You mentioned starting a business for someone who maybe didn't grow up in that environment. You and I may have been somewhat more programmed as entrepreneurs or either we figured it out. I think that it's, it's critically important to find that mentor or that coach or that something or another person to help you guide those steps. But even that you can find on YouTube or you just have to yeah. watch who you listen to, but there's a lot of free resources out there anymore. Yeah. And that's all about, if you can think differently than the rest of the world, you'll succeed differently than the rest of the world. Yeah. Why do you think that so many people quit? Many people believe they want one thing, and then they go for it, but they stop before they get there. It can be they run out of finances. It can be a whole list of things. But why is the quitting an option to so many people when they start something? Or how do you not quit something if you really want to go for it? Did you ever run into any of that? Did you ever have any of that experience? And what did you do to push through when stuff started hitting you in the face faster than you could knock it down? <laughs> it's when that always happens and it keeps happening. There will always be constantly times where things are hitting you in the face faster. And you can knock them down. Two things. I think, I think like you said a moment ago, it's important to find a mentor, find some, cause the messaging that society gives is constantly, you don't need to do that. Everything you need is provided for you. There's mm -hmm. always assistance when there's an issue. That's everything in society. Every piece of society is like hammering us every day with, you don't need to, all you need to do is have a job and then get a pension and retire, you know, which screws you in the long run. That's the truth. So making sure there's some sort of messaging that's opposite, keeping you going. That's important. Just to start the thought process. Yeah. Well, that's why most people quit in my opinion is like, well, the loudest voices in my head say, I don't need to do this, that everything will be okay. So how do you overcome? What's the, what's one step? to overcome that loud voice. Make sure you have a trusted voice that's telling you the opposite. Which comes into the mentorship. Yep. Coach. Somebody you're listening to or a friend who is a business owner, like just somebody telling somebody you. Somebody has what you want. Yep. Yep. I like that. The other big reason I think it's so easy to quit is most people's whys aren't big enough. So yeah. I, I actually am. I, I have a last class today. I'm teaching a class on legacy goal setting. 
And one of the things we teach in that class is everybody starts with like New Year's resolutions. What am I going to do this year? And so things like I'm going to start a business this year goes on there. But the problem with doing goal setting like that, in my opinion, is it's too short term. So we get to the end of the year and we look at our list of goals we set and like half of them or more than that we didn't do. And so we get all disappointed and we're like, well, what's the point? I, yeah. The way we set goals in my circles, we start with goals that are 200 years out. I'm going to be dead. What do I want for my family? Well, now when I set goals in the short term, what am I going to do this year? The question isn't like, am I going to succeed at this goal? Is am I going to get closer to what I want for my family? Because mm. okay. that why is a lot bigger when I have a supplier just quit or when all of a sudden there's, you know, major trade tariffs and the price of my product massively went up. Like, and I just want to be, you know what? I could just quit that product, but no, 200 years from now, this is what I want for my family. If I quit, they don't get that. Yeah. Yeah. Some people might say, well, Brad had a great job to start out with. He had stepping stones. He had this, he had that. What is the, the biggest thing you've had to ever overcome? What's the biggest failure that you've had to, where you just were like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, this isn't working. And what did you do? What was the first step you took for that person who thinks that maybe, maybe you didn't have to go through that in life. I think we all go through that in life. And sometimes people tend to forget that when they look at you and they say, Oh, he just wrote a book. He has these successful companies. He's had something that I didn't have, but I know you well enough personally that I know you've had some struggles too. And so what's one thing that you would say to someone like that and, and give them an example of what you've had to overcome in order to get to where you are today. The biggest thing I ever had to overcome was that belief that I got as a young person that I wasn't worth it. You know, that I wasn't worth loving, that I had no purpose, no value. I remember I had one of the best jobs you could get in my town. I lived in a great part of town. I had my own house that I built, me and my dad built with our own hands. I drove a Range Rover and it was paid for. Like I had everything society think, like all people who think, oh, you had everything you want. Mm-hmm. And yet still once a week I was driving down to the lagoon near my house thinking about just starting to swim, knowing I would drown. Just not that I'm not a good swimmer, just trying to swim to Seattle from where I grew up is impossible unless you've been training for years. Like just every week I was driving there and there's no point to this. Every there's, week. Every week. Every week at, at least once I was down there just looking out over the water being like, I can just start swimming. The currents will take my body away. My family will never have to deal with my body because they'll never find it. It'll just be gone. This will all be over. And it's in those places there where I learned to pray those two prayers I talked about at the beginning. In my opinion, that is the biggest, most difficult thing for anybody to overcome is find value when you feel valueless. So when we start businesses and nobody's buying our product for a couple months or our family doesn't believe in us, that's another big one that often happens. We, if we don't know who we are and why we're here, we immediately take that as an attack on our value, which we already believe is low. So we sit there and be like, well, maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe I shouldn't do this because clearly not valuable anyway. I might as well just be like everybody else. That is the biggest thing I ever had to overcome. 
I had to learn. I had to ask. I had to figure out what's my value. It's powerful. It's, it's incredible. I say the second biggest thing is about who's your team. So <laughs> we're back to identity again, but one of the things that you don't do very well when you don't know your values, you don't do marriage very well. And that sucks because let's just pause there. Why is that? Do you feel, is it because you feel that, cause I've been through that and I've often thought about it, but, but is it because we feel like we're not enough or like that this person doesn't know us. They don't know the real us. They don't know the struggles because of the vulnerability that maybe you struggle to put out. Um, I don't know what it is for everybody, but I'll tell you often, and this is the way it was for me, because if we don't know our value and we don't feel loved, literally everything we do is about trying to find an answer to that. All the bad relationships we get into, all the drugs we do, every thing we start to try and gain societal influence, whatever it is, it's all about trying to show we have value or see if we have value. And one of the things we try to do to figure out our value is we get married because somewhere inside there's this, this little key that says, if I get married, they will love me. They're supposed to love me. They're supposed to value me. And so we don't believe it, but we go get married anyway, hoping it's going to fix the problem and it doesn't fix the problem. So while we're married, we're still trying to do things to fill that huge void inside us that wasn't filled when we got married. So we're having other relationships while we're married or we're working our butt off trying to find value providing for our family. You know, like everything is still about trying to find value and I don't know, but that's why my first marriage fell. I was, I didn't have a physical affair, but I had an emotional affair on my first wife because I got married to try and find my value and it didn't work. Yeah. So everything I was doing was still trying to find value. Yeah. That's, that's good stuff. I, I'd say a lot the same for me. Actually, that's exactly the same for me. It's crazy how you look back and you can see that then, but at the time, <laughs> but I love how much we've touched on identity because I think, that's the beginning and the end of everything. Your life is only going to be as good as your relationship with your self-identity, I think. And, and until you figure that out. Okay, we're wrapping up on time here. And I know you're a busy guy too. I've got two more questions I want to go over. If you were put on a world stage where everyone is watching, the entire world is watching, you had five minutes to make a difference or an impact, what would you say? And you don't have to spend five minutes on this, but... What's something you think the world needs to hear? Well, actually, I already said it, but (laughs) because this whole thing about identity is exactly what I would talk about. How would you word it that these people from different countries and people of all ages, when they leave, they're thinking about what you said. How would you word it that it would leave that impact on them that makes them think about the identity part of themselves? I would talk about how every living thing in existence is different. Even to every leaf on a tree is different. Every single one. And even if every one of those leaves is doing the same job, they're all doing a different piece of that job. There is nothing alive in existence that is not perfectly unique. 
And we're the same way. We're all the same way. Every single human being is unique, was created unique, has a different design, a different purpose. We were here for something specific, maybe multiple specific things, but we're here for something specific. And we can do three things. We can either be who everyone says we are, because if we don't know who we are, we'll be whoever they say we are. That's true. We can, we'll be whoever they say we are. And society mm -hmm. doesn't say very nice things about us. So I don't actually recommend that one. We can choose something. We can take examples from somebody we admire or some book we read or whatever. And we have the power to make a difference based on our choices. And my, my belief about my creator is he gave us that power. We don't have to stick to his plan. We get to choose to whatever we want to be. Mm -hmm. So we can choose what we want to be. But the most powerful is ask whether you believe in God or the universe or nothing like, well, nothing you have trouble, but ask whoever you believe your creator is, even if that's just the universe, why you're here. I like that. You know, the patterns of life tell us that we are unique. If every living thing in existence is unique, then we are in there unique somewhere. We just have to figure out what that is. It's not, it's not me saying like, yeah, I believe there's a divine creation, but even if you don't believe we're a divine creation, nature tells us that we're here for a specific purpose. We're here to fulfill some specific piece. We just need to find out what that is. And we start by asking. That's how I recommend we start, yes. Well, yeah, I think that's a great, I mean, those are two things that, I, that after this today, I'm going to start on because I think that's an incredible thing. I, I just haven't ever done that, but I can easily see the impact it could have. Okay, another question. If you could ask anyone in the world any question, alive or dead, who would that be and what would the question mm -hmm. be? Well, the person One would be question. David Gemmel, the author of those books. I would, he would be the person I would want to talk to. I would, I would want to ask a man who was one of my greatest influences how to make my marriage better by finding out what he did. That's, that's probably what I would ask. How did you make your marriage great? Okay, so how would you answer that question yourself now? <laughs> Sneaky you. Um, uh, I spent a great deal of time focusing on identity. That was a big deal. Start with you. Yeah. Yeah. That's truthfully, that's where it all has to start. Like if there's problems in a marriage, it's not about getting that other person to meet you. It's about where can I meet them always. Even like there are times when we have big troubles, I'm going to look for help on what I can change. Um, Cause if we're a team, which is what I believe, like you and your family are a team. Well, I'm a Canadian, so let's say hockey team. If I'm a forward and she's a defense, when we don't, when we lose as a team, I don't go back to my defenseman and say, you're a shitty defenseman. No, I go looking at how can I be a better forward so that my defenseman doesn't have to work as hard. Like yeah. this is, it's all about working on me. Yeah, I like that. Being willing to go ask for help is a big deal. It is a sign of a strong person who's willing to go ask for help, not a weak person. What do you mean by go after help? To reach out to someone that you trust, someone that has what you want, ask them for their advice on it? 
Yeah. Be willing to be humble and vulnerable. This is what I've effed up, you know, <laughs> this is what I don't understand. This is what I'm trying to overcome. It's a strong person who can do that. Well, I think you are that. I just want to say, we haven't talked much in the last two years or like we talked the other day and we realized it was what, like three years or so. But I watched you and I watched you and and I watched some of your, uh, your trainings and I'm just like, I just want to acknowledge you for the husband you are, the father you are. Like, I think, I think that if more people took the steps you're taking, uh, we, we would raise a whole different generation of people. And just the way you prepare your family for the future to overcome these, these times like now is um, I have great respect and admiration for it. And how can our followers or listeners or watchers, viewers find your stuff? How can they get your book? How can they follow you? Where can they follow you? And what are your handles on that? Well, my book is on Amazon. So you can either put my name, Brad Harmsworth, into Amazon or the title of the book, Fear Due to Your Purpose, and you'll find it. Well, pretty quick here, you'll find a second one published because I'm in the middle of finishing that one up. Um, I have a Facebook page called Watchman Consulting. And every Thursday night we talk about something different. One of, one of the most important skills I think we can have in this world today is the ability to think about things differently. So we just talk about things and think about them differently every Thursday. That's at 7 p.m. Eastern, pretty much every Thursday night. If you're like interested in survival products, then you can go to watchmansupply.com. If you feel like I've got something that'll help you, those are the three places you can find me. Awesome. Well, our internet's having issues, I think. I think there's a little bit of a lag here, but I want to thank you for your time. I know time is valuable. I appreciate you coming on. There's a couple of things I wanted to touch on that we haven't even had time to do, so we may have to get you back on. But I just want to say I, I think okay. it's fun watching you. It's, it's inspiring to watch you, so... I really appreciate you being here. It's pretty mutual. You were probably the youngest successful person I ever got to watch, ever got to have a relationship with when, you know, we were all hanging in the same circles. You overcame so much and accomplished so much. And I watched you go through some really hard times and you still just kept producing constantly always producing you're a pretty rare man it's an honor to be here i appreciate that well i uh, thank you thanks for the kind words uh we'll have to do it some more and then we'll also i have to not be strangers anymore so i'll try to let you know when i'm down your area soon we'll do lunch or something for sure all right well i'm gonna let you go but thanks again for today and then yeah i'll talk to you soon have a good one Thanks again for tuning in to The Ultimate Shift. Look, I know life is crazy. Life gets busy. And we all kind of have an idea of where we want to go and where we want to end up. But there's so many things that come up in between. And my goal with this show is to grab one thing from every guest that we can apply to our lives that help get us closer to our end goal. You can follow me on Instagram at Ephraim Glick, Facebook at Ephraim Glick, Twitter at Glick Ephraim, 
or you can go to the website at ephraimglick.com. See you next time.